Hey everyone, welcome to the Intelligent Conversations podcast, where we believe everyone has a form of intelligence that resides within them. Our goal is to encourage these types of conversations for our audience to listen to. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, this is your host Josh Baker with the Intelligent Conversations podcast. Today I have the honor to speak with Terry Tucker. He is an incredible person as he has done everything from being a D1 athlete to a SWAT hostage negotiator to someone who has battled a rare form of cancer called, and I'm probably going to botch the name on this, but acrolentinous malnoma. Today he is an expert on motivation and wrote Motivation Check, which helps people find motivation to keep going no matter how hard life gets. So Terry, thanks for coming on. I'm really excited to hear what you have to share with us today. But I want to kind of start right from the beginning uh, when you bounced around career to career. Uh, what was the motivation behind that? I know we're kind of playing on words there, but was it like most college graduates trying to like find out who they are and in the workplace and all that? Or was it just the thrill of a new adventure? Well, thanks for having me on, Josh. I'm looking forward to talking to you. Um, it, it really it was kind of a situation with my father. Um, and, and just to give you a quick little background, my grandfather, my dad's dad, was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. So he was in Chicago during Prohibition when alcohol was outlawed in the United States, uh, during the Great Depression in the 30s, and when the gangs, Al Capone and all those guys were shooting up the town. And he was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun. And it wasn't a serious injury. He was shot in the ankle. But my dad always remembered the stories my grandmother told of the knock on the door of Mrs. Tucker, please grab your son and, or, and come with us. Your husband's been shot. And when I expressed interest in going into law enforcement, my dad was like, oh, absolutely not. You're going to go to college. You're going to major in business. You're going to get out, get a good job, get married, have 2.4 kids and live in the summer. I, I mean, my dad had my entire life planned out, but it was the life that he wanted me to live not the life that I felt my, it was my purpose or my why, which was law enforcement. The problem I ran into is when I graduated from college, my dad was dying of cancer. So I had two choices. I could either go along with my father's wishes and go into business or kind of chart my own path and say, sorry, dad, I know you're dying, but I'm going to go my own way. And if you look at my first two jobs, which were in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain, in their marketing department. And then after that, I was a hospital administrator. That was all because I didn't want to hurt my father as he was dying. And so I, I went along with what he wanted me to do. And then I kind of, I kind of joke. It's like, I did what every good son did. I waited till my father passed away and then I followed my own dreams. So that's kind of the progression, you know, two jobs in business and then a tremendous pivot to go into law enforcement. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, it's actually funny you mentioned that because uh, we actually have a common interest here of uh, my mother. I mean, she's still with us, thankfully, and I'm in a treasure every moment with that. But she has uh, colon cancer. And I, I've mentioned that, I think, in previous episodes. And I mean, I so when you reached out to me, I was like, yeah, I, I understand some of the things that you were talking about, like the pains and all that. When you experienced your uh, form of cancer and your father as well, like I'm watching it is just I can't even imagine what it's like to go through uh, as an individual person. Like it's something that I can't imagine, but <laughs> it's funny. Cause 
my mother actually she told me she's like my one wish is to just have you and, and I'm so blessed to just have her say this but she's like chase your dream she's like I do not want to go in the grave knowing because she's like she's definitely pushes college on me she's like you should go to college you should do this and this I'm like no I want to pursue like entrepreneurship I want to start my own business and she's like you know what it's gonna be better if I go in the grave with a peace of mind saying look I did the best I can and it's interesting that you I, I mean a little conflicting there but I, it's interesting you mentioned that you followed your father's and I, I feel that too because you want to do what your parents want and it definitely stresses you out and it, you don't want to like lash out at them because it's like man like you're already going through hard things but at the same time I want something as well so it's just already just an emotional strain so I totally get what you're saying there but could you uh dive into what so after um uh, after your father passed away what where did you start there was it the SWAT negotiator or did you just start in law enforcement because I know you bounced around a little bit there I, I did. I, I actually, I, I had met my wife when I was a hospital administrator. And after we got married, we moved to California. And I happened to see a circular. We were living in Santa Barbara uh, for a class that you could take at Santa Barbara City College, that if you completed the class, you could apply to be a, a reserve police officer with any agency within the, the state. And so I did that, you know, but you can imagine that, that, uh, that conversation at dinner one night, you know, my wife had married me when I was an eight to five Monday through Friday, you know, hospital administrator. And I'm like, hey, hon, I'd like to kind of dabble in this and see what, what do you think? And she was incredibly supportive. And then when our daughter was born about a year later, we moved to Cincinnati, Ohio. And that's when I kind of looked at her. I'm like, look, I love this. I want to do this full time. And that was a tremendous I mean, it's, it's one thing to say I want to change careers. It's another thing to say, I want to get into a job where I could potentially be shot at and all that kind of stuff. So I started at the bottom. I, you know, I went through the police academy in Cincinnati. I was a 37-year-old rookie police officer. I did that for about four or five years. And then I went into undercover work. And I also became a, a hostage negotiator. So I, I was kind of doing two things at once. We were not a full-time SWAT team. And I'm really going to date myself now. We carried pagers back then with us. And um, when the pager went off, you responded to, you know, wherever you needed to go. So it, it was just one of those things where, you know, like anything else in life, you, you've got a relationship with somebody, you and your mom, me and my wife, me and my dad, whatever. And, you know, you want to foster that relationship and that. So my wife was incredibly supportive with me for it. I did that for 10 years in Cincinnati. And then my wife lost her job. And we needed to move. And so I had to give up law enforcement, but I started my own school security consulting business based on the training, the education, and the experience that I had. That's that's awesome. That the story you shared there too. I mean, I know uh one of the one of the people that live next to me or whatever, he's a law enforcement officer as well. And I, I'm not gonna name him or whatever, but he he talks about like how most people go through the academy and all that. But I mean, a 37 year old uh, rookie, I mean, that, that that's something I know that doesn't occur that often. So I mean, hey, props to you for like, going and following your passion and chasing that. And then you, I like how you molded. Uh, so when your wife lost your job, and you had to move somewhere else where there's more opportunities, you went and you started your own business security business. 
and it's still like in line with your passion but then you take control of that instead of someone else telling what you have to do and I, I really like what you did that so I, I mean I kind of want to get into the motivation stuff I mean you're obviously an expert on that and I want to I want to hear more about that so could you uh for my audience here that's listening could you talk about it and this is totally up to you but could you talk about you know your experience with cancer and all of that sure so uh 2012 I was a uh... I had my own school security consulting business, and I was also a girls' high school basketball coach in Texas, and I had a callus that broke open on the bottom of my foot right below my third toe. And being a coach, you're on your feet a lot, so I I didn't really think about it initially as any big deal. But after a couple weeks when it didn't heal, I went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine, and he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there, and I can cut it out. And he did. He cut it out and he showed it to me. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. You know, no blood, no dark spots, nothing that gave either one of us concern. But he sent it off to pathology. And then two weeks later, I get a call from him. And as I said, he was a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he was having telling me what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming until he just laid it out for me. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen this form of cancer. You have a rare form of melanoma. Most people think of melanoma as a skin disease from too much exposure to sun or something like that. But there's a rarer form that appears on the palm of the hands or the bottom of the feet. There's even a rarer form that appears in your mucous membrane. So in your mouth or your nose, but it's still melanoma. So he said, you know, because of the rarity of your disease, I recommend you go to MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston and be treated. And I did. I I went there and I had uh, the bottom of my foot excised to remove the tumor. I had all the lymph nodes in my groin removed. And then when I healed, I was put on a weekly injection of a drug called interferon to help keep the disease from coming back. And the side effects of interferon were I had flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And that was not a cure for me. That was just to keep the disease from coming back. Uh, Eventually, 2017, I ended up in the intensive care unit because the interferon was so toxic to my body. I had a fever of 108 degrees, which again, is not usually compatible with being alive. But fortunately, I was able to be saved. Uh, The disease came back as soon as the drug was stopped. 2018, had my left foot amputated. 2019, the disease moved up my leg into my shin, and I had two surgeries there. And then last year, an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone. And my only recourse right in the middle of the pandemic was to have my left leg amputated above the knee. And I also found out I had tumors in my lungs, which I'm being treated for now. So on that uplifting story, what is your next question? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I get it, man. I, I sympathize with you. I, uh, I mean, back to my mother and what she's experiencing. I, I totally get the treatments that like, I mean, not this specific treatment, but like the flu, like symptoms every week, my mother didn't get exactly that. But like, I remember, so I was in school when she was on like this insane chemo and I just remember where, uh, I would come home and it's just like, one week she was just great. She was with us. She was just like 
hey, how was your day at school? And she'd talk with us and it was great. But then the next week she was just in bed for a week. Like she never came out of her room and it was just like, and never talked to anyone. And she was just like felt miserable. You could see it in her. And I was just like, man, I do not wish that upon any human being. So I, I totally sympathize with what you have there. And I, I, I wish you all the best of, I guess, luck and just persevere and fight through the disease. Cause it is a battle as much as people are like, Oh, I, cause I actually talk with people that, you know, have not like, don't have any close people. Cause everyone knows someone that is, has cancer, but it's not like really close to them near and dear to their heart. So I've talked with them and they're like, most of the time it's like, I don't really get the whole like fight part. I'm like, no dude, it it's a fight mentally, spiritually, physically, like you're literally fighting to stay on the planet. And I totally, like, I totally get what you're talking about there. So I want to uh, bring up kind of, you were mentioning, I mean, just bad thing after bad thing after, you know, these horrible events that occurred to you. How did you stay motivated to just keep going and just persevere through all those troubles? So I guess I'd, I'd answer that this way. We're all going to experience pain in our lives. And it doesn't have to be cancer pain like what your mom and I are going through. I mean, it could be something simple like you flunk a test at school or you break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or you don't get the promotion at work that you think you deserve. Pain is inevitable. Suffering, on the other hand, suffering is optional. Suffering is what you do with that pain. Do you use that pain to make you stronger, to make you tougher, to make you more determined? Or do you wallow in it and want people to feel sorry for you and feel sorry for yourself? That's a choice. And it's a choice that you have to make. And, and I get it. I mean, I've, I've been in the situations where your mother's been, where you just don't think you can go on. But I, I recall a, a couple stories that I think will help with this. So there was a, a, a professor at Johns Hopkins University back in the 1950s who did an experiment with rats. And what he did, it's a pretty simple experiment. He took rats and he put them in a tank of water that was over their head. And he wanted to see how long they could tread water. And on average, the rats treaded water for about 15 minutes. And right as they were about ready to sink and drown, he reached in, grabbed them, pulled them out, dried them off, and let them rest for a while. And then he put them back in that same tank of water. And the second time around, those rats treaded water on average for 60 hours. Think about that. First time, oh, all I can do is 15 minutes and I'm going to drown. Second time, 60 hours, which tells me two things. One, the importance of hope in our lives. We've got to have hope. We've got to have, yeah. you know, the ability to see, okay, there's something better for me out there, you know, on the horizon. And two, how much more our physical bodies can handle than we ever thought they could. The, the second part of that story is, is the Navy SEALs, some of the toughest men on the planet, uh, in the military who talk about their 40% rule. And basically what that says is that if you're at the end of your rope and you can't go on, you know, for them, you can't swim another lap or run another, you know, mile or do another push-up, you're only at 40% of your maximum and you still have 60% left to give to yourself. So whenever I get into those places, and, and I do, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's no S on my chest. I don't wear a cape or anything like that. I have bad days. You know, there are days that I cry. There are days I get down. There are days I feel sorry for myself. I just don't let myself stay there. And when I get in those positions, I realize 
how much more my body can do than I ever thought it could possibly do. Yeah, uh, I remember uh, at one point, so when you were mentioning the Navy SEALs and their mentality, I've actually done some research on that. Because I was, <laughs> there was one point where I was like, I was doing a workout routine and I was like, I want to push myself to another level type of thing. I'm like, I'm an athlete and I'm doing like, I'm at like a pretty good fitness, but I want like to accelerate to a new, like jump to a new level. So I was looking up, I'm like, Oh, what's the trend? And I was like, man, that's insane. Like there's no reason why a human being should do that, but yet people do it. And there's this one guy that I listened to his, I can't remember the last name. I'm pretty sure his first name was David, where he was... Goggins? Yeah, him. Yeah, David Goggins, where he went and he was like an army ranger. Uh, He did Navy SEAL, like pretty much all the same, like top elite, pretty much the toughest human being on the planet. And like, I remember him telling this story about how he ran 100 miles. And I was just like, oh my goodness. Like, that's another level of like mental toughness right there. So I kind of want to hear your thoughts here. Uh, What would be your advice for someone that's struggling with any type of pain, whether that's, you know, the, oh, you didn't get a promotion at your work or cancer, you know, some of those diseases that we just can't, that they're they're just there. I, I guess I'll give you what I call my four truths. And these are things that that, I, that I've developed or, or that I've learned about over these last nine years of going through th- these different treatments with cancer. And, and they're, they're, they're pretty much, they're like the bedrock of my soul. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, I, I, I believe in them so much. And, and I'll give them to you, they're, they're just one sentence each. I have them on a post-it note here in my office. So I see them multiple times during the day. And the first one is you need to control your mind or your mind is going to control you. Back when I was uh, in, in high school, I was 15 years old. I had my first knee surgery. About six months later, I had my second knee surgery. And when I went back playing basketball, I remember my brain being like, you know, uh, you're probably a step slower and coaches aren't going to want to recruit you because of these surgeries. So it's putting all this negative junk into my, into my brain. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm still playing at an elite level and coaches are still contacting me about playing in college. So you need to flip that narrative. You need to turn it around into something positive that works for you. So that's the first one. The second one is we need to embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that to make us a stronger individual. Our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So to the brain, you know, any kind of, of difficulty, is like, no, no, I got to get away from that. Stay away from that. But the only way you're going to grow, the only way you're going to push past your comfort zones is to get outside of that comfort level. To do, I always tell people, you should do one thing every single day that makes you uncomfortable, that could potentially be embarrassing, that is difficult for you to do. Because if you do it every day, when the big things come up, you'll have much more ability to handle those things. So instead of running from pain, what if you took it? What if you flipped it inside and burned it as fuel or used it as energy to make you a better person? So that's number two. Number three is more of a legacy truth, and it's this. What you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And I always think it's important for us to kind of think of the end game. You know, what what are people going to say about us at our funeral 
you know, would your ancestors be proud of the life that you have lived? You know, your ancestors set the table for you. You know, are you going to set a good table for the next generation? So that's number three. And then number four is pretty self-explanatory. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. Now, my pain is going to end someday. It may end through surgery. It may end through medication. Quite frankly, it may end when I die. But if I quit, if I give up or I give in to pain, pain will always be a part of my life. Yeah, I, I like the, the four tips that you gave there. I think a lot of people can learn from that. And I I kind of want to, I'm just going to add something here. And that's, I think oftentimes, I mean, I'm kind of going to tie a little bit this together and then I'm going to ask for your thoughts on this. But it's almost like you want to have a process-oriented mindset because oftentimes I think, I mean, I see this happen to myself and like I talk to other entrepreneurs, other people that are starting businesses as well. And the one thing is they're like, oh, I'm going to delay like instant gratification. So then one day I'll, you know, have all this money. I can do all these wonderful things. I'm like, I, I've heard too many people that have made it, so to speak. They're like, they've made it to, they make their multi-millions and all of that. And I'm like, they have a like burning passion and like, they love the process along the way. Yes, they encounter hard thing after hard thing after hard thing. But as they like brace this process and let the pain like ex make them become a better pe person, they, they went to new levels that other people want to be at, but then they're not willing to. They, they try to avoid the pain that comes with it. And I mean, with the crying every night, I mean, I I'll touch on this a little bit, but when I'm working on my business, my brand and all that, there are days where I'm just like, I just feel like, a like you said, there's just days where you're just like, oh my gosh, I feel like a total loser. Like I didn't get anything done. And I just like, I wish I could do more. And I like, I can't do this. Right. And those days I've come to understand where like people are like, oh yeah, I put my blood, sweat and tears into this. I'm like, yeah, I totally get it because you have to put in a significant amount of time. And that's the thing is where you're, embracing the unknown where you're going in and you're saying I don't know what's going to happen like I don't know the end result but you're pushing yourself because you've seen other people take that path and you're like they got a pretty good result so maybe I could get that but where just there's so much uncertainty I think a lot of people like they, they get scared and they just kind of run to their little corner so I kind of want to you know sorry for that little spiel that I did there but I kind of want to hear your thoughts on that. I, I want to know what your thoughts are on, on a process oriented mindset. I, I think, I think you're right. I mean, life makes it very easy for us to quit. You know, the, the least little bit of, of resistance in whatever we're trying to do, whether it's, you know, to start a business or take ourselves, you know, our, we, like you were talking about, you know, I want to take my body to the next level and, and exercise and stuff like that. But as soon as it gets hard, as soon as it gets tough, you know, we, we butt up against something difficult. I always I always think back of the, the movie Rocky, which I'm sure you, you've probably seen when, you know, the, the scene where Rocky, you know, cracks the, the five raw eggs into a cup and, and drinks them down before he goes out to work out. I always like to tell people, think about that scene and put yourself in the position of Rocky where you're chasing your dreams. You know, what's the first thing that happens? The alarm clock goes off at four o'clock in the morning. How many people are going to chase their dreams at 4 a.m.? 
And then he turns on the radio. And if you listen in the background, it's going to be below freezing in Philadelphia that, that, that day. How many people are going to say, oh, wait a minute, I'm not chasing. It's cold out there. I'm not going to chase my dreams in that. And then he, you know, he eats these five raw eggs for breakfast. I mean, how many people would be like, I don't have the right nutrition or I, you know, I got to wait till I go to the grocery store before I, you know, I can chase my dreams. And then he puts on this old gray tattered cotton uh, sweatsuit and his high top basketball shoes, you know, his black high tops. And he, and he goes outside into the cold and into the dark and he does some stretching on the, you know, on the side of the, the building before he starts to run. How many people would be like, wait a minute, I need the latest equipment, the latest moisture wicking material and the latest running shoes before I can pursue my dream? Or wait a minute, I don't have my running buddy with me, so I can't pursue my dream. And then he, he gets to the steps, you know, the 72 steps up to the, the uh, Philadelphia Museum of Art, you know, and he's, he's hurting. He's got a pain in his side and he's nauseous and all that. And he kind of looks up, and, but he, goes, he gets up to the top. I mean, how many people be like, oh, I got that pain in my side. Now I'm going to go home. I'm good for today. I'll, I'll do better tomorrow. Everywhere along that path was a reason to quit. And he didn't. How many of us would have done what Rocky did in pursuit of our dreams, our goals, our ambitions? There's a, a San Francisco 49er Hall of Fame receiver by the name of Jerry Rice, who had a great quote, and it kind of goes to what you were saying. He said, today I will do what others won't so that tomorrow I can do what others can't. And if you think about that, you know, it's easy to quit and a lot of people will do it. The hard is what makes it good. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Exactly. I, I love the thoughts that were that you said there, everything you said there. I just nod my head. I, I love what you were saying. And especially to the uh, your point where you were talking about how Oh, I need the latest equipment and all that. Mo, I remember. I have two examples here that I'll give. I remember this one lady. She was talking about. She's like, so when people. Uh, I'm sorry. This is another business reference, but there was this one lady. She went out, and she's talking with these college students that were starting businesses, and she's like, "All right," uh, and they're asking her, "Oh, how do I be successful? How do I be successful?" She's telling them, "Oh, all these like technical terms, like oh, keep your cat." all that fun stuff. And what she got to, uh, an invitation to observe five businesses and see, and only one of them succeeded. And that was the one where she went out and they was in a garage, like literally just, they were in and out of a garage running a business from a garage. And then the other four businesses were running in these nice apartments. Like uh, they had their own like building. They had like, what was the other one? There was, like they had all these things that were theirs, they owned it type of thing. And they spent all this money on that. And she's like, they were too obsessed of, you know, making sure that they were there, that they were known and all that, that they forgot the actual process of getting there. And she's like, only one of those businesses actually turned out being successful. And I'm like, yes, you have to start from humble beginnings. <laughs> I mean, as much as you want it. And another example would be from my personal life. Uh, a lot of people like I love like just anything exercise. I, I, I've seen people in my life that just neglect it. And that's the number one thing. Like they tell me that like, don't neglect your health. Don't neglect your health. So I'm just like, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Like I'm going to not neglect it. So 
I take care of my body. I want to do that. But I'm I still to this day, I don't have a gym pass. Like everyone has this gym pass in there. I'm like where I want to be physically fit and also run a business. It takes money to uh, go to a gym and it's a significant amount. And of course it would be worthwhile. That purchase would make it worth it. But I'm like, it would take away from this dream and I'd have two conflicting dreams. And then I would just feel guilty every time I go to the gym. I'd be like, oh, I have to go to the gym because I spent that money where I could have spent it here. And it's just like, you know, you have to start. And then once I do have the money from the money I do generate, sure, I'll take some out and I'll go get a gym pass. Oh, then I'll go get a personal coach. Oh, then I'll go get, and I'll just level up one at a time. I think too many people, I mean, I actually, there's this uh, little pamphlet uh, thing. I'm going to do this presentation at this one place. And I'm talking about how when people set goals, it's like a video game. Because I mean, this generation, they're addicted to video games. Like we, we love video games. We love playing it. But if you look at how it's formatted, that's how our goals should be formatted too. You start at level one, you're a level one character and you got to get up to level two level three and then all of a sudden you get harder and harder and you fail at some of those campaigns and then as time goes on you get to that level 100 level whatever like one of my friends in this one game he's always telling me he's like yeah i'm level 2000 i'm like dude i don't even have time for that but he always cracks me up when he tells me he's (laughs) there but i i kind of want to hear your thoughts on this but what would be your goal setting strategy that uh represents a process-oriented mindset? That's a great question. I, I think that, I guess, kind of picking up on what you uh, you talked about, I think it's, it's very important for us, if we want to succeed, that we find that purpose in our life. We find the reason that we were put on the face of the earth. And, and I guess, let me back up. Your purpose, your why, whatever you want to call it, doesn't have to be your job. I mean, your, your job could be over here and it's what you do to pay the bills, but your purpose is to write or, you know, to start philanthropic organizations or to paint or whatever you end up feeling in your heart. But I always tell young people, especially if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you should do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things that you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be the things you didn't do. And by then, it's going to be too late to go back and do them. So I think the first thing you need to do is you need to try to find your purpose. And a lot of times, that's trial and error. That's going out there and I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this. And it doesn't really get, you know, I I don't really get up in the morning energized to go do that. Okay, let's back up. What else is there? Well, let me try this and stuff like that. But so many people don't want to do that. They, They don't want to, you know, I just want to know what's going on. I want to make money. I want to be important. I want to be influential. First of all, never take a job for money alone. I'm not going to tell you never take a job for money, but never take a job for money alone. Because all the surveys that I've ever read, and I spent about 10 years uh, as a hospital administrator, and part of that was in human resources, the money for most people ranks eighth or ninth in terms of what's important to them in a job. So never take a job for money. Take a job for, you know, the fact that they hired you for your expertise, for your knowledge, for, for your hard work, whatever that is, and hopefully they're going to use you for that. I, I mean, I never understood people that we hire them and then we tell them what to do. 
why don't we hire them and have them tell us what to do? I mean, they're supposedly the experts in this thing, (laughs) unless you're an entry-level position and you're learning the job, that may not be the case. But other than that, as you move up, you've got expertise. That's why you're hired. Why why am I telling you what to do? You tell me what we should be doing. You know, get me out of this pickle or, or how should we handle this with HR and stuff like that. So I guess that would be my second thought would, you know, make sure that you get in a position that you feel validated, where you feel worthwhile. Because if you do that, you'll work your butt off and you'll help somebody, you know, be successful. So I guess that would be the second thing. I guess the third thing I would do is serve. That's a good one. <laughs> there, there's a, I don't know if you've read this book, it's called Legacy. And it's written by a man by the name of Kerr. And it's about the the All Blacks, which is the New Zealand national rugby team, who by all accounts is, if not the most, one of the most successful sports franchises in any sport, in any country of all time. And you would think that these very successful, this very successful team would hire people based on their technical ability. They don't. They hire people for two things. One is character and two is humility. So what kind of person are you? What are you bringing to the table and not just some, you know, oh, I'm great. Yeah, really? Are you really that great? You know, I mean, so you need to be a person of character and you need to be humble. It's okay not to have all the answers. Individually, you don't know what to do. Collectively, we all get together collectively, we'll figure out what to do. So I guess I'd answer your question that way. That that I love the answer that you gave. And I, it's interesting that you mentioned character and humility. I that's something I've actually been big on what like just focusing on my life. I'm like, yes, I some of the things I will admit that I do do hurt some of people's feelings, like hurt people's feelings at times. But at the same time, those people also are not like they don't hesitate to reach out to me because I'm just like like one example would be I'm pretty honest with people, I guess I would say, like, I just say it how it is. And like this one friend, he's like, you said some mean things to me, but when things got tough, you were the only one that actually gave me like advice that would get me somewhere where I wanted to be. And just that I'm like, that is more important to me where I'm like, where someone can come to me and, and it just makes me good, like feel good inside to say, Hey, I helped change that person's life. Like that they had, they wanted to reach out to me and say, Hey, like, what would you do type of thing? I'm like, that's where I think character begins to show. And then to have the humility, of course. And I actually kind of want to touch on that. Most of the most humble people that I know and of a quote I go by is once you think you have humility, you've lost it. And one, when it comes to humility, it's some of the most confident people I know. Like they still are like, oh, I'm good at this and I, I can do this. And they'll rise up to the challenge and say, oh, I can do this. But at the same time, they're never like brag and say, hey, like choose me, choose me, choose me like to do it. But they still have the confidence. Like when someone says, hey, you're really good at this. Can you do it? They're not like, oh, no, 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 no. You should do them. They're like, oh yeah, I can do it. Like, no, no problem. And it's just like, they have that willingness to serve, but they're still humble and confident. And I think often people confuse the concept of, confidence they're like oh you have to like belittle your confidence to be humble i'm like no you actually want to have an incredible amount of confidence and you'll still be humble because it i think they go really hand in hand so 
I, I kind of want to gear this as we're beginning to wrap up, but I kind of want to get your thoughts on leaders. I That's kind of what we were talking about, but what would you say you would need to do to be a successful leader? Well, you know, I always talk about leaders got to be out front. Leaders got to be doing, you know, follow me kind of thing. And, and I kind of think just the opposite. I think you need to lead from the rear. I, I, again, it kind of goes back to if I'm going to hire you to do a job, why would I be the person who tells you what to do? And, and I've seen this in, in, in the corporate. I, I've spent some time, obviously, in the corporate life where, you know, there's, there's a problem or an issue. And, and what happens? You know, you, you're sitting around a conference table and the boss comes in and the boss is like, OK, here's the issue. Now, here's what I think we should do. Blah, 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 blah. And then he, then he or she is like, OK, let's go around the table. What, what are the you know, any other ideas? What do you, what are the rest do you think? Now, most people are, are astute enough or in tune enough that it's like, OK, the boss just said what he or she thinks should be done. Like, what am I going to say? No, I think you're an idiot. Here's what we ought to do. And so what usually happens in that setting? Well, everybody kind of agrees with the boss, maybe gives one or two little points, but doesn't rock the boat in any way. I think a better way to handle that is the boss comes in, the boss sits down and says, okay, here's the problem. What do you guys think? How should we handle this? If the boss doesn't say what's going to go on, people are much more open to, hey, look, here's what I think and here's what's going on. And I've seen that happen. I've seen both of those happen where the boss comes in and tells you what he wants. Well, that's what we're going to do. I don't think it's going to work, but that's what the boss thinks. Or the boss says, you people who are in the trenches, who understand this, what do you think should be done? So I think a boss should lead from, from the rear. You know, what resources do you need? How can I support you to be successful? Now go out there and do the job that we're paying you to do. You know, I'm not going to micromanage you. You tell me what you need. I'll see if I can get it for you. But I'm not going to be the one who's making the decisions. And I think that's what we that's what we equate leadership to. You know, leadership is I'm the guy who's making the choices. You, If I go back to that book, The Legacy, that I was talking to you about, that I think that one of the most important things or most interesting things that I found in that book is when the team is done with their match or, or their game, they leave the locker room. The captains stay behind and police the locker room. They pick up the tape and the cups. They put the towels away. That locker room is in better shape than when they came into it. That's leadership. That's leading from the back. You guys go out to the bus. Us leaders will take care of that. That's what I think leadership is. I, I love your thoughts on that. I think you summed it all up. I mean, all the world's greatest leaders, they had a team. Like, at the end of the day, like, you can name any leader in the history of the world and it wasn't solely them. I think we often, yes, there's usually just that one person that gets, you know, the credibility, the uh, the fame and the glamour and all that just because, you know, they're a good spokesman or they're good, like they're at the right place at the right time. But it's a team that usually puts the person in that position to do that. And then they recognize that and then seize that opportunity. So I, I, I really love the thoughts that you've been sharing here. And I kind of want to, as we're wrapping up right here, I want to get some final thoughts from you. And I usually ask this to all my guests, and that is, what piece of advice would you give to the world? So I, I guess I'll end this with a story. Uh, always been a big fan of Westerns growing up. And my mom and dad used to let me stay up when I was young and watch Gunsmoke and Wild Wild West. And these are probably shows you've never even heard of. But, 
um, back in 1993, the movie Tombstone came out. You, you very well may have seen it. It starred Val Kilmer as a guy by the name of John Doc Holliday and Kurt Russell as a man by the name of Wyatt Earp. Now, Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp were two living, breathing human beings who walked on the face of the earth. They're not just made up characters for the movie. And Doc was called Doc because he was a dentist by trade, but pretty much he was a gunslinger and a card shark. And Wyatt, his entire life had been a lawman. And so these two men from entirely divergent backgrounds formed this very close and tight friendship. And in the very end of the movie, Doc is dying at a sanitarium in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is about three hours from my house. The real Doc Holliday died at that sanitarium. He's, he's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. And Wyatt at this point in his life is destitute. He has no money. He has no job. He has no prospects for a job. So every day he comes to play cards with Doc and the two men pass the time that way. And in this scene, they're talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, you know, I was in love with my cousin when I was young, but she joined a convent over the affair, and she's all that I ever wanted. And then he looks at Wyatt, and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt says, you know, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal. There's just life. And get on with living yours. You know, Josh, you and I both know people, I'm sure, that are kind of just sitting back, you know, and they're like, well, when this happens, I'll have a normal life. When this happens, I'll have a successful life. When this happens, I'll have an influential life. The advice that I would give is don't wait. Don't wait for life to come to you. Get out there, find the reason you were put on the face of this earth, and then live that reason. Because if you do, at the end of your life, two things are going to happen. You're going to be a whole lot happier, and you're going to have a whole lot more peace in your heart. Thank you for that. that that's some wise words. Everyone that's listening right now, I think you need to take that in. Uh, Terry gave great advice there, and I think we all should take that to our hearts and be better people. And I, I, I really loved what he had to say there. So uh, just for reference here for the audience and things, uh, if there's a way they want to reach out to you or if I'm pretty sure you have a book, uh, what is the best way for them to do that and get a hold of you or get your book? Yeah, so the book is called Sustainable Excellence, The Ten Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. You can get it anywhere you can get a book online. You can get it at Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, Apple iBooks. Uh, in terms of contacting me, I have a, a blog called Motivational Check. Every day I put up a new thought for the day. On Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message, which is usually a longer story or a video. Um, so you can contact me through Motivational Check at motivationalcheck.com. You can leave me a message. My social media links are on there as well. You can actually ac get access to the book through through Amazon there as well. Okay, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, everyone, you should go uh, check that out. I think uh, he's had great things to say, and if you want to learn more about that, I think you should go check out that as well. So thank you for coming on. I, I've really enjoyed the conversation that we've had here, and the thoughts that you've been sharing with us. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate you having me on. All right, everyone. As you can see, that is Terry Tucker. He's a very intelligent person. We can take his words to heart and tune into next week's episode. We have a great guest lined up for that as well. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed that as well. And see you guys next week. Let's get after it.
Hey everyone, if you liked this episode and would like to hear more, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button. We release a new episode every Wednesday for you guys to listen to. Thank you guys so much for the support that you give. We could not have done this without you guys. If you would like to be a potential guest on the show, check out intelligentconvos.com and there should be a form there for you guys to fill out. Thank you guys again and let's get after it.